Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Hey everyone, I'm Greg. I'm Ash. We're Pursuit of the Paranormal, which you'll probably know because you're listening to our podcast. But there are several ways that you could support the show. Um, you can visit our merchandise store where we've got loads of clothing and other bits and bobs there for you. And we also have launched our Buy Me A Coffee campaign. Tell me a little bit more about that, Ash. Yes, yeah, so you can support the show on with a one-off donation. Or you can also join our membership scheme, which gives you different benefits, including shout-outs on the show, discount on the merchandise store, early access to episodes, bonus episodes, all of these different levels of membership. It just helps us carry on doing what we're doing. So you can visit all these places and more at our linktree.com forward slash Pursuit of the Paranormal. Hey Ash, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you, Greg? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. It's, um, yeah, after one pandemic, something else starts happening. Oh, yeah. Which we won't go into, but yeah, it's a never-ending cycle of war at the moment, isn't it? So, no, I'm all good. I'm all good. How's things with you? Yeah, not too bad. Like I say, just as we're talking, it's sort of like Putin talking about nuclear yeah we'll see yeah. hopefully by the time this goes out it'll all be died off a bit but oh. hopefully it might never go out <laughs> yeah it might never go out <laughs> very true always very always true. be optimistic <laughs> we'll cover that in the next episode <laughs> So this this one um, this week's episode we have split into two. Yeah. So we're going to be releasing part one now, and part two later on. In two uh, days. In two days, yeah. So if you're listening to part two, this is the one you should be listening to first, which we'll tell you on part two as well. <laughs> and if you got if you're listening to this on part one, part two will be coming out. Um, so the reason for that is well, we had a conversation um, with this with this guy and it went over a normal sort of hour long episode um, by quite a bit by quite a bit so we decided to split it into two two parts because there as you'll you'll hear there's there are two different cases that we discuss at length yeah. so we thought actually that works out perfect but you won't have to wait a whole week for the episode we're going to put them both out the same week so yeah but like I say so this week we sort of talk about a bit of christian's background into his paranormal research which he's done a lot of which you'll yes. find out as he talks about these two instances that we talk about this week the amount yeah. of detail he goes into is just phenomenal incredible the amount of work he's done he did most of the talk and he's just uh... Incredible just to hear the story and the, the, of what happened these two cases that both happened in Nottinghamshire, close to each other. Completely unrelated instance, but they happened literally metres away from each other. Yeah, it was like literally the next field. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. We talk a bit about um, social media and the impact that this has on 
panel of research. Yeah. And then we then for this episode we'll be talking about the Hollingwell incident, which some people may have heard of. I hadn't heard of it before we I talked about it. Either. No. Uh, but it was quite a big thing back in the nineteen eighties in the UK. Which you'll find out in this episode. And then on Thursday, you'll you'll hear part two where we'll be talking about something that's called the Thunderbolt incident, which is actually a UFO crash that ha- yeah. happened in Nottingham as well, which I'd yeah. never heard of either. Never heard of it. And yeah, it's an incredible series of events that we, we talk or Christian tells us about. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's how I never knew about it, I don't know. Same. So, yeah, so enjoy part one and we'll see you part two. This week we are joined by Christian Lander, who is going to talk to us about two cases that I'd never actually heard of before. It was quite surprising. Both cases happened in the UK, pretty close to each other geographically, but two widely different cases. Welcome, Christian. Thank you for dropping by. Hi, Ash. Hi, Greg. How you doing? Hi, good. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, actually, I'm happy to be here. Obviously, we get, we're engaged in conversation thanks to the ASAP chat. So, I'm uh, happy to be here and let's listen to what you guys have to say. And I've got some interesting cases to talk about. So, Awesome. So before we get into them, do you want to give us a bit of background on yourself? What so what you sort of do in the paranormal field and how did you get interested in the first place? I, I think at one time I might have considered myself a paranormal investigator. Um, I went, I joined a number of different groups. I, um, I spent time pursuing a spiritual interest in that regard. And what I, what I learned is that I learned I have an interest in the art of illusion. So I actually kind of, sort of, when I was going to the spiritualist um, national union with an interest, I kind of found myself learning to fake it better than those who were there spiritually. And then I started to attend uh, mind, body and spirit affairs. I started do, giving tarot readings. I started giving readings out. And uh, I, it's, it's odd that I say that because... I, I was purely doing it to, to kind of lie to people. I kind of was just like not making money because I would always give the, the customer their money back because I felt bad and I was taking it from them, giving them a great reading. And they were like, oh, that's the most closest reading ever. But what I was actually doing was I was learning to develop uh, the pattern and the skill of a conversation. And, and all this was happening at the same time as I was pursuing um, my interest in the paranormal. I had an interest in Nottingham has a lot of folklore, a lot of uh, mythology, culture, um, strange and unusual things that were happening. And I was kind of making a log of them as I was going along. And um, obviously on television, there was Most Haunted. There was various um, ghost shows that I've kind of always had an interest in. Um, and quite a few of those people like Steve Parsons, I'm really good friends with. And we keep in contact on Facebook and social media. And I became a member of ASAP, which is the Association of the Scientific Study of anomalous phenomena in 2011 i attended um one of their conferences down at the university of bath um at that time separately i had created a i wanted what i did, what i saw across the paranormal community at that time there was more than 1500 paranormal groups in the uk um just just in the uk so what i was trying to do was to kind of so do you ever watch the show sightings uh it was a um a television show produced around 93 to 1996 did you ever watch that at all yes it was my my age bracket it was a very good show because it kind of presented it not as like a live investigation walk around a spooky house kind of thing it was kind of presented like an actual news magazine show 
Various, uh, they'd have a host, and then basically they would cut away to uh, various investigations that they have live or uh, unusual accounts, features, and so on. I wanted to kind of replicate that on a podcast platform or in a video platform. I wanted to contact other paranormal groups who were willing to submit content. Um, and I would host and I would talk about, and basically you'd have different groups who wanted to submit data, their findings, and what was unusual going on, a guest, uh, and then finish off with some 14 stuff. What I found was that most groups were very, very unwilling to talk to each other. They were very like, I don't like this group, they, that group doesn't like them. And uh, that really frustrated me. So what I actually did, I created a questionnaire and I sent it to every single paranormal group that I found in social media, uh, on websites in the UK. I had five replies out of 1300 groups. Wow. And that get, and, and, and my email, uh, I have a, <laughs> have a document which I, every time I, I email a different group or a different member, and I, I, there was definitely 1277 uh, emails that were sent out to all the various groups in 2011. And I had three replies, um, five overall. Um, so that really gave me a, a bit of a disillusion with the paranormal community at that time. So I thought, you know what, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i go to ASAP. And what I found is they were also doing a very similar question at the time. I was very interested in their, um, their ethos as a, as, a, as a group. I hadn't really become aware of them. I knew Lionel Thanthorpe was there um, as the president. I knew Dave Wood and his wife Nikki were there. And I knew that Christian... Um, Jensen Roma was there and I was like, these are the kind of people I want to listen to, I want to be uh, informed by and become educated by. And then I kind of stepped away from the investigation stuff. I had various um, friends who were members of uh, groups of Nottingham who were going into people's houses investigating. And what I really, um, what really challenged me um, was the ethics side. I saw people going into houses and I, I went with them and I saw there was one particular time Oh, I'm probably jumping ahead of this because I kind of want to run through this spill really quickly. Um, I went into a house and I, there I was, I was stood in the kid's bedroom and this, the woman who was the owner of the house who said she had poltergeist activity happening there. I was with three other people and we're in various points of the house. And I was like, there's, there's something wrong with this woman. And if we go into this house, as we have, what are we opening up? What are we opening ourselves up for in terms of accusation? If this woman is not happy with what we say, um, she could say anything against anyone. So from that point, I was like, and you know, I, not that I didn't trust her, I didn't know her, but she could say anything. She was one of those kind of women who were a bit like a bit eccentric, a little bit odd. And I was like, shit, you know, what are we exposing ourselves into walking into a place where I'm in a kid's bedroom um, or I'm in the, the master bedroom? What if something goes missing? What if his sink is stolen? What if she makes that accusation? And uh, I was like, what the fuck are people investigators doing in this position? So I literally, I, from 2011, I stepped away from being an, an investigator. And now I, I just consider myself to be someone who has a paranormal interest. Um, I've wrote about 140 articles across various topics of the supernatural, um, the stranger, unusual, the weird, the 14. And I've kind of just, I just dipped my foot in enough to have conversations with the most interesting of people. And uh, I kind of keep my prize, self surprised of lots of the new things that are coming forward out of the SPR, out of ASAP, out of the uh, the deep reef in the US, kind of the UFO topic too. Uh, but generally, I don't get involved in a hands-on point anymore because I kind of want the bigger uh, perspective now. Um, I know that's probably thrown a lot at you guys very quickly, but that's kind of where I am now. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. It's interesting, the background 
um, that you've got there. So thanks for, for letting us. So I think um, that would be a good basis to for a lot of the people that listen to the podcast. They will have heard of like SPR and all those associations. Yeah. So um, I think that's, that gives a good grounding on your background. So appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I've got, um, I kind of grew up when I was a kid, of course, I had the Osborne Book of Ghosts. I had my mother read like Charles Bullitt's Bermuda Triangle. Um, there was a book from Mystic Pellet called Mystic Places published by Reader's Digest. And I can remember going into school with this massive Reader's Digest book talking about all these like just mysterious places around the world. And like it's far above anyone else's. Everyone's trying to read like through children's books. And it's me with a Reader's Digest book. And I was just I was just absorbing this information. Um, and that kind of like put me on the uh, the track of the weird and the wonderful, really, from a youngest age. Did you used to watch um, Arthur C. Clarke's World of Strange Mysteries? I didn't. I didn't watch it when it came out. I I, I watched it much later, probably around 2013. Uh, and I kind of I I stole it off YouTube as a whole group of episodes. Yeah, that that's the the program that first I sort of went to when I was younger because I remember when it first came out. Um, but do, do you not think it's really interesting that that kind of format? is missing from today's paranormal mm. television show yeah what we need is like um tomorrow's world did you ever watch tomorrow's hell yeah world? that was one of the best so, shows ever so tomorrow's world in like a paranormal format very much like the sightings arthur c clark that more of a documentary kind of thing because at the moment like you say you've got all these um you've got all the paranormal groups around the uk and i'm aware on social media these paranormal groups if you go against what they say or don't like or um, challenge the evidence that they're giving or challenge their methods or challenge what they're even presenting as evidence it gets you banned from the page I've been banned from many pages um, yeah. and groups purely for the fact that I've said actually it could be that, this. that, that <laughs> anomaly on your ring camera at night is someone's <laughs> breath or it's the, just the, the way night vision cameras work low end low sort of pics or well, highly pixelated well yeah when, when you think about what that is it's just throwing out red lights um so anything that is an instant flash you can't tell the distance from the camera oh, um, yeah and it is interesting when you when you say well, it's pareidolia or you know you have you demonstrate something you can recreate it in some fashion even if it's not what actually happened if you could recreate recreate it in a certain way you have to go well actually was this how it was made in the first place? And then it's not that you want to throw doubt on them. It's like, well, you have to raise the objective point. Uh, otherwise, you know, you believe everything. Yeah. And a lot of the groups that I know me and Ash post things, we, we comment on things and we get people like raging against us and all sorts of disbelieving stuff that we put up that we, we say this is, for example, this, this light in the sky is actually an aeroplane we know because the person who took it told us so and they go no it's not it's a ufo it's an alien it's like what? it's interesting uh, and do you think that over the years with social media that that's changed people's views on their beliefs um and the way the people report stuff now that it's very easy just to put a picture up with no context and say I can't believe what I'm seeing here. And people go, yeah, I can see four faces. I can see a demon or you need to get some help or something like that. And it's, it's very instant now to, to put your 
evidence in quotes up on the internet and there's there'll be groups of people that blindly believe what you're saying and they, there's no kind of debunking no rational thinking um i think what you said there was a really you you said a very interesting word that kind of encapsulated everything there that was context mm -hmm. if people put anything up with no context and then no peer therefore can verify it mm -hmm. and that's really what they kind of hide away from because they know if someone was to look at that information with where who when you know it's quite likely that their their evidence would kind of fall apart really easily there's do you know Haley stevens um she's a member of the highly skeptical community she was a panel investigator has a deep interest in this kind of topic um so there was a particular case that she presented um to a skeptics in the pub meeting in nottingham and i, I it's an interesting story because it was there was a mainstream article about a ghost that had been captured on a pier down in like the south coast and uh, she'd done some investigating rang around a few people and eventually she actually found the person who was identified to be dressed as a fisherman on opposite pier and, and she rang him and said oh, you, in the papers it says you're a ghost and uh, so they had a bit of a laugh about it he says yes i'm the guy who's in all those pictures but it but still that picture of that apparent misty looking man is still put forward as a ghost despite the fact there is actual evidence that shows that that was not the case at all it's a dodgy photograph and we presented to the guy who it was but you know it's still pushed forward as 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 despite the debunking uh well people will still proclaim that as evidence and it's like come on you, you have to step away from that it's been solved so on a, on a similar sort of note to debunked it at the, at the start you sort of mentioned about the spirituality and faking it and you know, like doing tower reading and stuff. So with you sort of experiencing the faking side of it, what do you feel towards people that are mediums or do do this as they claim it to be genuine? It's it's a really interesting thing because there's a lot of people who claim to be genuine. And also I met a lot of people who appear to be um, trying to discover themselves. They're trying to find who they are in the world. And they find that through spirituality. It might be that they find a group of like-minded people because they have a similar interest. And it might be that they're curious about the other side. It might be that they just want people who are a bit more like, what, what's out there? What's going on in the world? Um, is there ghosts? Can I speak to my auntie? Um, can I... But at the same time, there are those people in those circles who um, gravitate, and I hate to use the word show business, they become very showmanship. So they, they learn to go from being in a sitting group and they will elevate themselves probably quite naturally or they develop those skills to become what's called um, they will stand on stage and give the reading. And what that will mean is that often those people who are on stage would go from location to different churches. I, I say churches because the the SNU, uh, the national, so the Spiritualist National Union in the UK is uh, they use church as their their name of their groups that they go to. So there's various spiritualist churches um, around the country. So those mediums who now become showmen, uh, should we say, uh, show women, <laughs> have to be gender neutral these days, uh, they could go and get paid to attend each church, each church session. And then therefore the people who are paying the five or three pounds or whatever it is to come to this group, they're kind of giving a, a percentage of that to that medium and they realize that there is um there's a money making way there's a, perhaps a way they could step away from their day-to-day -day job working in retail as many of us do or the horrible jobs that we don't particularly like 
and actually they can pursue a spiritual interest in, in a topic that they really like and it could fund their life. So I think that's where a lot of people want to get to and they see people who are very successful. Uh, they will sell their own stuff. They will sell their books. They will sell their merchandise. They will sell their crystals and be very successful and make enough money that that is their life. So I think there's a lot of people who they want to steer their life to become that way. But I think a lot of those people also, they're just trying to pursue their own spiritual interests. Fair enough. So let's kind of move on to the two cases that we're going to talk about. So we've got the Hollingwell case or the yep. Hollingwell incident. That's right. And the Thunderbolt incident. Okay. So the reason they're really interesting is because they happened in the same geographical area. So that's an area that's not too far away from me. I live in the, if you can imagine how Nottingham looks, it kind of comes to a bit at the top, a bit like a pine cone kind of shape. And Kirkby and Asheville is about 10 miles north of that, uh, between Nottingham uh, City and Mansfield. It's about halfway in between. It's a mining town. Um, there's not that much there. I went there just a, just a few days ago. It's very much um, different types of housing, very mining houses. Um, there's a couple of council estates and some private houses, of one strip of shops, and that's your lot. And there's some industrial estates on the outside. Um, so not really too much going on, but it sustains itself. There's enough, um, the jobs, there's, there's a lot of stuff in the area where people can travel to for work. So it's it kind of sustains itself. So the two incidents that happen, they are, they are completely separate. Um, so the Hollingwell incident is perhaps the most famous. Um, and it's, it's the one we'll talk about first because it happened the furthest time ago. So it happened in July, 1980. Um, it happened on the 13th, I'll just double check. Oh, it could have been the 12th. Uh, it was Sunday the 13th, sorry. So in this case, the reason why it's famous, and there's plenty of videos on YouTube that will cover this, um, and it always pops up as being, it's a mystery, it's unsolved. Um, and it's that generally it pops up, it, mysterious cases that have no ending or no explanation. But the Hollywood incident is often cited in often those lists. The reason is, is because 255 children, 16 adults, five horses, two dogs, and two babies mysteriously collapsed for no reason. Well, and the reason why this came kind of under my radar, despite the fact it's as close as it is, um, I was interviewing a lady called Hazel um, for the Thunderbolt incident case, uh, which she witnessed. She then tells me in her interview, I was one of the children at the Hollywell incident, and I collapsed. And I was like, oh, have you, have you ever heard about fall down field? So this is the reason why I kind of, I know about both. The problem is that I found is that both cases um, were, the only information online is very scant. With the Hollywell incident, there's a lot more just because it received major uh, mainstream press at the time. So by the 14th, uh, which, which is the Monday, the press has started running stories of Poison Cloud, um, KO's children, um, 300 children uh, collapsed mysteriously. There was lots of claims there was a government cover-up going on at the time. Uh, was it aliens? Was it uh, underground toxic waste? Um, that was very much the fear at the time. And there was lots of different theories to why these children collapsed. And it's kind of just sat there in the background going, I really ought to look at this properly. And I, I didn't, not really. Um, but then I was like, 
okay. I spoke to Hazel and she says, you need to go look at this properly. So I thought, where where can I go and find out this? So I, I went on the Kirkby and Ashfield Facebook page. There's various like uh, community groups of each city in the UK. Um, and I posted on there very nicely, you know, um, hey, it's um, it's been about um, 40 years. Does anyone have any memories of this? Is there anyone who has any considered any health effects that have continued on from the original case? Does anyone have any commentary they want to add? Did anyone um, have any, were you a parent? Were you a child at that time? And uh, the general response in all those posts was, stop asking. People ask all the time. We're sick of it, we're tired. That, that was kind of general consensus. There was a few people who were quite nice about it, but generally it was, uh, go, go look on YouTube. There's plenty of documentaries about it. Go look at the Inside Out documentary about the BBC. We're done. We don't want to talk about it anymore. And I was like, that's really a bit odd. So what did happen that day? And I thought, well, the only way I'm actually going to find out is I contacted the Asheville District Council and I contacted Nottingham City Council for the um, the official report. Because I kept seeing there's an official report that no one was happy with the conclusion of. And I was like, I, I just need to get hold of the uh, report and find out what the conclusion is. So the conclusion is, is that it was mass hysteria. Nothing happened. And that, that is why a lot of people are still very pissed locally about the case because they feel, um, having now read this, they feel very shortchanged that they did not get a satisfactory answer as to why 255 kids, you know, adults, dogs, um, animals, and babies uh, collapsed. However, the answer is a bit more clean cut than you might think. Uh, having now read this document and some of the um, people who commented after that. So the media went on a full frenzy as they, as they always do. And I think the local government and the local police and the fire service were a lot of pressure to get as many answers out as they could. Um, and you know what happens in that regard, they're talking to all the experts and they really are because they're all quoted as in this document. Um, the, the professionals like the um, environmental health were involved, uh, the police, the fire service, the, uh, in fact, I'll let you take because it's much easier just to say who they were. So the people who were involved was the, um, there was three councillors from the local council, senior environmental health officer, um, superintendent, there's two of those actually, Dr. Martin Lewison of National Health, uh, community physician, area medical officer, chief biochemist, register for the Accidents and Emergency of Medicine at Queen's Medical Centre, four more senior doctors here, uh, the Agriculture Safety Inspectorate. So there's a lot of people involved who knew what they were doing and knew what they were talking about. So over the course of a week, the, uh, the, like I said, the media was going a bit frenzy about this is what was happening. So, the, so I spoke to the photographer who was there that day. So all the photos that exist of the Hollandwell incident are taken by him. So he was, um, what was his name? I, Mr. Lancashire, Neil Lancashire. So I, actually, I just literally, I messaged him. I didn't know how, how old he was. I didn't know what he was up to these days, but I saw he had a professional profile on LinkedIn. So I sent him a message. I said, hey, how you doing? Um, I'm just kind of just checking out what happened. Could you pass out any information about your thoughts and feelings on the day of what you saw? Um, and just share any um, things that perhaps you've never discussed before. Now, he's very, very warm. Found out he's 74 years old now. He's retired. But on that particular day, he was working for the Mansfield Chad, which is like a local newspaper. And uh, he was also promoting his photography business. So he had a stand at this at this gala 
And uh, as people started collapsing, obviously he had his cameras with him. So he started taking pictures. So there's lots of pictures of kids that are laying on the floor, they're laying on a blanket. There's a, there's a mother holding a child in her arms. There's a, all the, when the, all the ambulances are there, um, people carrying their, carrying their kids around, taking them to the, um, to the ambulances. Uh, St. John's ambulance was there. Uh, they were completely overwhelmed, as you can might imagine, because there's usually only two or three volunteers there. So it, it got a little crazy. It must have been pandemonium. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, he told me that over the tannoy... Um, so let me just explain what this gala is. So have you ever heard of jazzy bands? Not, they're quite obscure these days, but in the, in the 60s, 70s and 80s, incredibly popular. Every kind of mining town had one. So why the dads were obviously downstairs in, in the mines, the, uh, there was kind of like social support groups for the families. So if you've ever seen this like miners welfare kind of uh, local pubs that are around. So <clears throat> there were more like social clubs. So the, the pit basically would pay for events to happen for the families. And one of the things that kind of grew out of that were these kind of jazzy bands. So it would kind of be a mix between brass bands uh, people who play instruments, kazoos, they would do kind of dance routines and were very popular, lots of drums. And if you see pictures and see video, actually, it looks quite cool, actually. Um, they're wearing like, like sashes, uh, lots of colours, lots of uh, bright headgear, and uh, they would kind of do military-style uh, marches, make lots of noise, very cool. So this particular event uh, was organised as a national event, so more, more I say national, more regional really so lots of different groups were coming from um lots of different areas i saw there were some as far as yorkshire uh, manchester um as far south uh, as kent would come up here and would have this massive fate uh, once a year at this hollingwell farm so this was kind of really big thing it says in here there was 800 people at this festival um so there was not a small number of people it was a large number of people there was only eight uh, portaloos by the way so I can only imagine what that must have been like. <laughs> so uh, it was explained to me by Mr. Lancashire that uh, there was a tannoy announcement as the children started collapsing, that um, someone put out a tannoy announcement saying, don't eat the food, uh, it might be poisoned. Uh, don't drink the water, there might be something wrong with it. And it was a guy who got into a bit of a panic on the microphone and started saying lots of random stuff like that. So <laughs> it did not help the matter. So he said that don't drink the water, it's poisoned. Was the, don't eat the ice cream, it's poisoned. So that led to a lot of confusion going on. They did not know what caused it. Um, and if also you can imagine, this is in the middle of a farmer's field in an area that's not that well developed. The nearest core box is quite a way away, more than a mile away. So they were not, only St. John's Ambulance were involved at the time. No, no emergency services for a good an hour or so, unless those who had cars had um were able to take their, their kids away the um so when they did start arriving they were trying to work out what had actually happened so this is the this is the press statement that went out the very day after so uh the incident at the hollywood carnival here so the things they were trying to just uh, talk about so was it food poisoning <coughs> it says no the um majority brought their own packed lunch they brought their own picnics uh, most consumed their own food stuff um, not indicative of a food outbreak. Uh, there was a fire at my neck of the woods, about 10 miles away, as a plastics factory. That was considered to be one of the options, but uh, the wind was blowing in the wrong direction. It happened the day before on a Saturday. 
Um, there was thought that the water supply might have been contaminated, but the uh, seven trend water ran uh, chemical and bacteriological tests. Uh, both came back negative. So that was kind of ruled out as a reason. Pesticide sprays was one of the, um, the question in here. It says the police and national health and safety executive agriculture inspector found no evidence of spraying in the immediate area. It says here, soil analysis was taken. If local vegetation samples were taken, uh, but the results wouldn't be available immediately. They'd take up to two weeks. So blood and urine of the patients that went to hospital, 255 people, they had no toxic substances inside their body at all. Although clinicians did say a proportion did have slight evidence of toxic inhalation. Uh, there was a call into the police on the Tuesday that someone suggested it might have been high frequency radio waves, um, which I guess still comes up as a frequent conspiracy theory even now. So it turned out there actually was a high frequency radio wave tower about 100 yards away from the location. However, it was only used by the gas board and the RAC um, and the power levels were well below even the maximum permitted um, level. The temporary toilets were an issue. They said there, because there was only eight, the, um, there was an excessive use of um, Jay's fluid and bleach. <laughs> so that led to a chemical smell. Everyone kind of knew it. It says here, and I'll quote this, it says, numerous other theories have been advanced by the press and the public, ranging from low frequency noise transmissions to extraterrestrial visitations. These have been considered to be found without evidence. So this is the director of the environmental health, uh, Jay Wood, and there's even his phone number here. The... Um, the investigation is continuing. All results are outstanding. Um, all children affected are being questioned. It's certain here that the, um, the environmental health visited um, 175 of the families afterwards uh, for further consultations, but uh, they couldn't work out what actually happened to these kids or what happened to the families. But I say children, although there's lots of other people who are also affected, but the children is the kind of main focus when obviously people have an emotional attachment to children collapsing. The two babies, however, uh, were they were both premature babies. They were only two months. They were only two weeks old each, so they were actually they were only taken in as a precaution. One of those children, though, did have um, blisters on their body. Um, the when they were changing a nappy, it's in here that it says that they there was blisters forming on the child's skin when the nappy was being changed. They thought it might be related, and they took the baby to hospital. The uh, the five horses that is often quoted as a guy here called Professor Ogden, and it says in here that um, the it was in the Daily Mail the week later, um, and it was found to have no substance at all. The horses weren't affected, nor were the dogs. So where them reports even came from is unknown. When I spoke to the guy who was the photographer, he says yes, there were horses there, but they were at a gala event at the other end of the field. And they don't think they were affected um, and he doesn't remember them going down or being affected in any way so it kind of it was a bit like we don't actually know what happened to any of these kids uh there was a press statement uh a few a couple of weeks later so this is after all those tests came back in this is wednesday the 23rd of july and they they, they raised 15 points of what actually might have been the cause to happen to these kids and uh this is the director of the environmental health and control uh, chief executive officer so we have we can co effectively and can finally dismiss any connection of chemical agricultural compounds uh, all tests both environmental blood in europe are negative uh, we can effectively rule out the theory of toxic gases in regards to 
pockets beneath the land. This is virgin land. Uh, test bores um, for noxious gases. For noxious gases, were negative. There's no viral infection. There's no bacterial or um, chemical contamination of the water. Low frequency radio waves were dismissed. The plastic spectrum was dismissed. The, um, there was they tested around the area for coal before, and they thought there might be methane gas leaking, and that was um, checked. That wasn't that. There was a theory that there was a train uh, underground train station nearby, or an underground train tunnel where they were dumping toxic waste, and there's no evidence of that at all. In fact, the quote is here: "This we found to be entirely without substance or in fact." Um, again, the radio waves here, um, fluorine emissions. Uh, was dismissed. That again was found to be the chemical smell coming off the portable toilets. Um, there was thoughts perhaps that dry cleaning in the children's clothing and poor ventilation may have led to the symptoms. We were informed that most children's clothing is hand washed and this diminishes that possibility. Um, many other theories are raised again uh, from bleach to diesel. These have been considered and ruled out. Exhaust fumes is ruled out. The director of environmental health and control authority had a meeting with all scientific members and uh, from Parliament, the Directory of the Environment in London, and all facts have been considered above. And we could find no reason why this happened. So it's left as one of those really strange things that no one was really happy that the fact that all the experts couldn't find out what was actually the problem. By the second or third day, the press had kind of caught on to another story because I think it was a guy who was. Um, he was a psychologist, and uh, he posted that he thinks the children might have been experiencing mass hysteria. And then there's there's a case in here um, sent for, sent to them actually, and uh, it says here that they were there's a number of cases in history where it shows a large number of people have also experienced mass hysteria and the same kind of experience. We're talking 177 children at a school uh, just outside. Uh, in Newcastle, sorry. So it was a children's gala band, much the same. Uh, it was July 1972. 130 visitors, mostly girls, belonging to juvenile jazz band, developed a mysterious illness leading to gastric pain. Sorry, um, epigra epigastric pain. Um, no physical cause for symptoms were discovered, um, and it was down to a historical reaction. And there's a, a really good paragraph about this. The same thing also happened at another school. Uh, here is a mixed comprehensive school in 1965, where um, basically a, a child was feeling ill after getting about off the bus. They felt a bit exhausted. They were feeling a bit lightheaded. And every person they seemed to speak to and also exhibited the same kind of phenomena. They also started to feel lightheaded, a bit tired, a bit exhausted. And then when they got taken into a, they were at assembly, and one of the girls kind of collapsed to one side. And then it happened to more people in the assembly. What happened then is the school nurse then took those children outside, put them under a tree, breath of fresh air, and by the end of lunchtime, 30 children were there with the same symptoms. They'd all collapsed, tired, exhausted, uh, nausea, feeling uh, feelings of vomiting here. Um, it says, so we covered them in blankets, there was excessive weeping, complaints of dizziness, pains in the abdomen, weakness of the legs. Um, and there was, there appeared to be, when they... And it mentions the fact that girls who were very emotional would, um, there were no boys amongst them. It actually states that here. But as another girl joined them, they would also experience the same phenomena. Even a teacher had the same problem. She went out to see how they were and also started having the same experience. 
But then the nurse came along, kind of bold. Now everything's okay. Come back in the school. As she went back in the school, um, as the children started to dissipate and break up, the uh, the symptoms alleviated. Only for then at, at lunchtime when they all got back together again, it happened again. Very strange. So the conclusion in the press was that mass hysteria must have happened this time at the Hollywell incident, and that appears to be the um, the final conclusion of this report that. Uh, mass hysteria, and there's, there's actually four examples of um, that mass hysteria happening in the past. There was, do you guys know Bob Rickard, who was the one of the co-founders of Fourteen Times? At the time of this incident, 1980, he was taking a lot of press cuttings where they were reporting this, and he has perhaps wrote the most extensive um, reporting at the time of this incident um, ever. And him and a, a guy called Dr. Bob Bartholomew, they actually put a book together in regards to mass hysterias that have been happening um, in schools and in groups from uh, 1566 to the present day. Lots of different accounts, same phenomena happen, happening where children appear to almost emotionally pass on this sensation of dizziness, weakness of the legs, they'll collapse and fall down, and it happens to everyone else. So, still unsolved, although in 2003, the BBC did a documentary called Inside Out, where a doctor from the University of Nottingham, uh, he re-examined the results of this report and um, had some interesting thoughts. Is that it turns out, although there was chemicals that were used at the time on adjacent fields, they were never thought to be dangerous at all or any way affected because the safety levels at the time were very different. However, Tridomorph, which is a chemical pesticide, was one of the ingredients that were used at the time, but it was banned in 2000 because it has uh, it's considered by the World Health Organization to be moderately toxic. But at the time in 1980, it's completely fine and didn't really come up as an issue. Um, so he thought that Tridomorph actually causes um, things like sore throat, coughing, uh, wheeziness, short of breath. And he thought that perhaps the, the field has had a scattering of that. And as the girls were doing their jazzy band performances and walking around, um, they were actually kicking this stuff up. And therefore, it was making coming into their lungs and they were getting a bit tight chested. These girls were also wearing really tight fitting clothes. And there's actually a statement in here um, by one of the organizers. And it says they were expecting a number of the children to collapse and faint. <laughs> it's an expected thing to happen uh, yeah they actually found a, a field uh, nearby was actually coated in, in the, the, the tridomorph here um, and that perhaps is, is a, is a, is a knock-on effect so it hasn't really been touched since 1980 there was quite a lot of people who spoke out about they weren't happy with the quality of the report they believed that there was a cover-up I don't think there was I think there was a confusion over the, the chemical side of things that appeared to be where a lot of people thought that something had happened and that the government were just trying to pass it off. And I just think at the time, they looked at these four um, chemicals here and they knew there was something wrong with them, but they couldn't identify it because they were all within safety parameter limits. Um, but of course, when they looked back at it later, it was a bit like, now actually that probably was the reason, or certainly a contributing factor along with the mass hysteria. Um, again, the, the photographer I spoke, at, spoke to, uh, when I spoke to him on the 12th of January, he was like, Dude, the, it, what he says, 255 kids didn't fall at the same time. We're talking five and six kids at a time over the course of three hours. 
very different. Mm-hmm. And clearly, they were being judged by ex-military personnel. They were standing on their own um, in forced marches, being inspected by ex-military people. And they were, and they had been there. He had said from some like they'd left their houses at four or five in the morning to get a coach to come all the way up here. And they're already in dress. There's nowhere to change. They were already in costume, tight fitting clothes. They had hats on that were made of foam and fur. There was no uh, ventilation at all. So he believes, yes, there was dehydration, exhaustion happening, as well as the, the mass hysteria effect and the chemical kind of coming together. Um, so when people say there's a, but it's an unsolved mystery, I think it is a solved mystery. But it's an interesting one because I think it examines a lot of things that people don't take into account. Well, that's a very thorough roundup of the incident. One, like Ash mentioned, I hadn't heard of until um, just before the the chat we're having now. And uh, yeah, it's very strange. And it's, it's interesting how a story can go from five or six kids at a time over three hours to 255 kids, dropping horses, in its... dogs, dropping. Yes. Um, and it's it's definitely um, I I can only imagine what that would be like if that was to happen now. It would be thousands of people have just simultaneously dropped to the floor and yeah, because and obviously the media adds that spin on it as well. So mm. even in here, there's actually headlines of the time um, that they've they've taken a note of, and it's things like um, 300 kids um, KO'd by poison yeah. cloud. <laughs> it's just like. So instantly there's a suggestion that that's the kind of thing that's happening. Yeah. I mean, this 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 report actually is, is rather substantial. The um, So the 14th of July here, uh, poison cloud riddle of 305 sick children, 305 sick children. Daily Star ran with 280 kids in poison riddle. Carnival day terror as they collapse. Poison fumes, uh, chaos at carnival. Uh, and on the following days, uh, it's like hysteria hits children. There's only two theories. The riddle of the poison cloud that fell 288 children. Uh, the panic KO'd gala kids. Uh, it was hysteria, say the experts. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have collapsed. Um, I guess, mystery illness. Um, there's a cover-up. Children's cover-up claim. Um, there's a blamed on judges. It says, um, and then like the MPs of the area um, got in on it, actually wanted a full government inquiry. Um, it didn't happen. Because um, they said, well, the report's robust. <laughs> it's um, it's interesting those headlines as well. It's very clickbaity. If you were to yeah. see them now, you would be clicking on those links, going, "What? Why did this? Why did those kids pass out?" Yeah. And of course, that that is what the focus is. It's it's a it's a powerful um, story. And again, I would recommend you just do a quick Google search of it, and you will see that there's a lot of a uh, clickbaity style uh, websites or pages, and most of them. are highlight only a very, very small amount of detail, maybe a paragraph that says, oh, there was a mystery incident that's never been solved. 300 kids passed out with no detail. And I wanted to specifically avoid that. And I thought, well, what actually happened? And I've, I spoke to people who were there, people who were involved. Um, photography was there on the time. All the photographs of this incident that happened are his. Um, and I've, I've got uh, copyright permission to use them and to, and to reuse them. I went and got the report from the council of what actually happened, what was their answers. And I think that's that's, a, that's the way that investigators should look at it, as what are the facts as opposed to what's the hearsay. Definitely very, very thorough. And, well, it's, it's really interesting to hear. Like like Greg said, I haven't heard that before, and it's just incredible that, one, to think about that happening. And then again, all the, all the different reasons that 
people put forward and the even the experts put forward and even mentioned extraterrestrial having that like yeah. actually as a possible something that was like mentioned by the environmental health guy that's just Yes, um, the the lady who uh, who had this experience, name's Hazel. Um, she told me that um, she believes that she got asthma from this account, from being in here, and that's then affected her entire life. Whether it was enough to generate a whole illness for the rest of your life, I mean, I think she's certainly in her fifties now, and she said that she was twelve when this happened. So, uh, sorry, she was nine when this happened. So, I don't know how much how much of the chemical needs to be ingested for you to then take on the illness of that will then last a life and i don't know and i don't know how many other people were affected simultaneously there was a reddit thread that i came across and it is linked to my source notes um there's a person who claims that she was a child at the event and that uh since then she's had nothing but miscarriages wow. and she attributes it to that there was a report that says there was a lot of stillborn births afterwards again i messaged that person i never had a reply at the time of making the video that I did. So so sort of on that Sedgwa, you're talking about Hazel, because she's the witness to the other case we're going to talk about. She is, yes. So um, Hazel was an interesting link between both cases. So Hazel was, um, she told me of, she said to me, did you ever hear about the, um, the it's a, it's a chimney that got hit by a UFO. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so she then t- <clears throat> proceeded to tell me about a case that happened um, in Kirkby and Ashfield. And if you were to look at this map, I don't where you guys can see this. So this is the this is the field where the, uh, the incident happened. Where just here, uh, this is a place with Diamond Avenue that crosses over two roads here. So just one field away is where a UFO crash allegedly happened. And it's not just a UFO crash, UFO crash that has a simple story. It's a very complicated story with a lot of physical damage. Cool. So that was fascinating um, roundup. That that case is bizarre as it is. Mm. Um, well, I, I'd never heard of it either. Um, oh. And it's interesting how it, it starts off as one thing, and we as we move through it, and Christian's research into the whole thing, and the fact that he's got these reports from the the local authorities on um, the the whole report, um, yeah. and he actually held up the report while we were talking to him. So I've got the full report here. And that's... Yeah, and he managed to find out who the photographer was, and he's kind of yeah. spoken to him and everything. It's just amazing. Yeah, insane amount of research, and yeah, it it was a case I'd never heard of. Um, but yeah, fascinating. Crazy. Yeah, so this was part one of our Christian Lander interview. Yes, check us out on our next episode where we will be heading over to part two and the Thunderbolt UFO crash. So see you there. Bye bye. Pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg.